Hello, and welcome to Openly Gamer Theater's Tower of the Ape. A Savage Worlds Deluxe roleplay drama from the producers of Gamer's Table. Be warned, this production may contain some explicit material that may not be suitable for all audiences. This is Dan. I'm going to be playing Matadai. This is Shannon, and I'm playing Lovaisa. Hi, this is Dave, and I'm playing Ronyos. Hello, my name is Jason. I'm playing Odored Soractus. And I'm Sean. I'm playing Mofir. Stars twinkled like shards of luminous glass in the moonless black sky above, as a shadowed figure crawled from the open flap of a low tent and stood. He stretched like a great cat before adjusting the wide leather belt at his waist. His breath billowed like a silver cloud in the starlight as he yawned. Chill of the night stabbed at his nose with every inhale and numbed his ears. Vanis scratched his bald head with one hand and freed himself with the other. Within moments, a smoking jet of Egesta soaked into the steppe. The frigid air on bare skin caused a shudder from the Kozak that fouled his aim. Swearing softly to himself, he flicked dirt with the toe of his boot, showering the tent next to his to cover the stain. A snort from the shaggy mare tethered to the stout wooden peg wedged in the ground next to his tent caught his attention. He stepped to her and gently stroked her nose. It was then he noticed the dark shapes approaching in the starlight. 
A yell ejaculated from him as he bound for his curved sword strapped to the saddle of his mare, and he advanced towards the intruders. Sure that the yell had roused his comrades, bolstered by the fact that the dark shapes stopped where they were and were not charging or fleeing, he quickened his steps. Four men sat their mounts like so many statues of centaurs as Vanis crossed the frozen grass between the Kozaki camp and the intruders. One was ahead of the others by considerable margin. They were so still and ominous that Vanis drew up short. The tickle of icy fingers ran down his spine as it occurred to him that they could be fiends of the knighted step come to claim him. With a wavering voice, he challenged them. Hold there, you devils! How come you through the perimeter guard without... The one in the lead sat forward in his saddle. It wasn't until then that Vanis realized that he was not ahead of the others, as his eyes told him initially, but he was a giant on a massive steed. Before the Kozaki could say another word, a voice emanated from the giant, like grinding stone blocks. If we would have been a bit earlier, we'd have caught you with more than your sword in hand, eh, Vanis? The Kozaks squints in the dark. Strom? The giant dismounts and approaches Vanis with arms held wide. Strom, it is you. The two comrades embrace as hurried, booted feet sound from the camp, and armed men file double-time towards them. Bobbing of their torches causes the shadows to dance and give the mounted men behind Strom a sinister appearance. As they embrace, several of the armed men begin laughing and patting the giant on the shoulder and back. Vanis lets go of his comrade and turns towards the horsemen in the gloom. Who is this that travels with you, Strom? One of the younger men beside the giant beams. Yes, have you brought us some new recruits? Friends, I have brought friends. With a wave of his arm, he invites the men behind him to approach. They slowly dismount and step into the glow of the torchlight. Silence cuts the revelry of seeing their missing companion like an axe. No one notices the painted savage who awkwardly leads his horse towards them. No one pays heed to the man with matted hair and beard, dressed in what appears to be rags of sackcloth, who chitters and capers in their midst, joining in their celebration. All eyes are on the bearded Harkinian who bears a brand openly on his cheek, a sigil that identifies him as one loyal to Yezdegerd, the king of Tehran, the sworn enemy of every Kozak. Hands grip tightly on hilts of brandished weapons as the group close on the unwanted intruder. Stay! Anyone who harms this man will find his skull split to the teeth. The gathered Kozaks turn to him in stunned silence. Clearing his throat, Finus looks at Strom, whose eyes burn murderously in the flickering light as his head swivels to watch the men around him. Saram will be pleased at your return. And that's the guy who I was supposed to meet, right? You were just told he was known as the Wolf. The Wolf. Okay. The tension ebbs as the gathered Kozaks lower their weapons and gap-toothed smiles appear on the bearded faces again. Strom pats Vanis on the shoulder and begins to stride towards the camp. With a quick look over his shoulder and a motion of his head, he beckons you to follow. He has been completely lost without you. Strom nods and the pair walk in silence before he turns to look at you. Follow me, my friends. I ask him if Saram is... Is this the wolf that I am to meet? The men behind you begin snickering. A look from Strom silences them as he turns to you. Okay. It's a made-up thing. The wolf. That is the name that that fool, King Yestergard, bestowed upon me. Oh, okay. Vanis looks up at Strom and gives him a wry smile. You were in the custody of Yestergard's men the whole time. Strom smiles at the bald man. And they didn't know who you were. A rumble of laughter bubbles from Strom's throat. Yestergard is not known for intelligent men. I chuckle. This is being said in Hurricanian. Yeah. So I don't have any idea what I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm now actively looking for Dardo. So That's I have I have his reward on me. You've had it the whole time. That's funny. And you're giving them back their leader. <laughs> See, I respect that kind of uh, cunning. You have to. 
Strom turns and strides into a large pavilion lit by a centralized fire pit. The man at the open doorway takes the reins of your horses and guides them to be tended, but not before he spits at your feet, Matadai. Come in, my friends, sit. He indicates some rough wooden stools arranged near the fire. I regret my deceit in all of this, especially to you, my brother. But your prince had been hunting the wolf for months, and if he would have known that I was already in his custody, he would have certainly flayed me rather than return me to my comrades. He smiles at the gathered men who watch in silence. I trust you understand. He sits himself on one of the stools and begins stripping off his filthy rags. Two hard-muscled, dark-eyed women enter bearing gourds of water and begin washing the accumulated grime and dried blood off the massive man as he sits naked before you. They scrub with such intensity at times, Strom groans with pain through gritted teeth. He turns to one of the Kozaks, a young man who starts at making eye contact with the giant. Gora, run fetch Dardo. Strom's eyes turn to you, Odrid, and he nods, knowing you don't speak Hyrcanian. But I heard Dardo. You heard Dardo. Waited a long time. I will uh, secure his payment. I don't even know what it is. So you hand him this, it's a, it's like a, a messenger bag. Right, wax seal. You have him a bag. He uh, weighs it. Look, my brothers, not only did Yezagud trade me back to myself, but he paid me for the trouble. And they all start laughing. Now, the other half was not my responsibility. The return of the king's captain. You were paying... You were only in charge of returning the money. Yeah, you were... No, you were paying for the general. For the general. So, he, so your, he jo- unders- your job isn't done, is okay, what, he, what right. he's saying. Oh. But he understands, you know, what... He has no idea about the general at all. Oh. Ooh. You never told him any of that stuff. Okay. Interesting. And your job is complete. First part of the job. The first done. part of the job. Then I explained to him. I said, well, well, you weren't privy, and that makes total sense, but uh, this money was for the safe return of General Yama. <laughs> It will be done. I release the esteemed General Yama into your care. The gathered Kozak smiles as if Strom had just jested at your expense. It is payment. Reward. Reward for finding him, then. Sure, it's a trade. Strom waves his hand at the man near the doorway. Bring the bonded his new charge. Three men rush off into the night. Before long, they return, two dragging a bound man between them, while the other walks behind with a knobby cudgel poised to strike should there be a need. The man's head lolls in a stupor as they drop him at your feet. One of the Kozaks grabs a handful of matted hair and turns the wretch's face towards you. His black beard is long and braided, signifying his high status in Turanian society, but it is smeared with gore and filth. His eyes lack focus and roll in his head as he is forced to face you. They are the eyes of an idiot, blind with the glaze of lunacy. He wasn't like this before, I assume. No. The general was like this when we found him wandering the remnants of his shattered host. Where did you find him? His army was destroyed by the mindless. He's broken. He's a broken man. The gathered Kozaks grow quiet, and several of them begin looking at each other nervously. This is what happens when people venture too close to the darkness. No fear? Is this the darkness you speak of? The heart of the blight lies within the heart of the ape. And and Mofir, like, chants this. He, yeah, it's just like a mantra. It's like, does that mean anything to you, Strong? The he, ape. The gathered men gasp, and the women, now clothing Strom, stare agape at you. The ape. The Tower of the Ape. It is the source of the darkness that blights the northern steppes. It is where the mindless dwell. Oh. We must go there. To go to the Tower of the Ape is madness, or death. Well, then it will serve as a fair warning to the king. We must destroy this tower. Why do you say that, mystic? Why should you destroy it? Mother Earth has instructed me to. I could show you the accursed place if you wish. If you say that you can destroy it, I will show you. 
I fear Have no I ever curse. Heard of this Tower of the Eight? No, not at all. Yeah, it, this is way north of where you normally travel. So I, I personally am what two days ride back to the king. Three, three, three days, days ride. ride back to the prince. Back to the prince. Yes, I understand. Audred has things he needs to do, which also hmm. I need to speak with his Dardo also. But I need to return the general to the prince. That can be arranged. As you are, I am a man of my word. You better make it quick, because if we get a hold of Dardo, you ain't talking to him. Entering the tent from the inky night, a red-faced man enters. His roomy eyes take in the scene, and he smiles a broad, toothy grin at Strong. Did somebody say Dardo? Well, Dardo is here. Oh, and then I sit back and just kind of watch. His elongated nose twitches as his grin widens, giving him a distinct weasel-like appearance. He saunters in with his arms spread wide. His fur-lined wool vest opened to reveal a bare chest, puckered scars standing out like pale stars on the burnt bronze skin. He rests his hand on the pommel of a broad short sword, strapped to his wide leather belt. Who are your friends, Dom? Dotto has never seen. That's as much as he gets out of his mouth before I get up. And I'm charging him, pulling axes out and charging him. Okay. Oh, I have said all along, my character has a death wish. He either kills Dardo or he dies trying. And if that means i got to do it here in front of all of his men, that's fine. Oh, and I've got his back, so you better draw a quick initiative than me. The Kozaks reach for their weapons, but are halted by the voice of Strom. It is between them. A matter of honor. And everybody kind of stops and goes, what? Like, they're really confused. Like, what the hell's Does going on? Does he say that in Pictish? Because I didn't understand. No, he said it in Hurricanian. Jack of, too, of right. clubs. Dardo. Joker. Four. Yes. All right, so you, you get the jump on him. Frenzy. Yes. Two-fisted. Two axes. Three attacks. No Three minuses. Attacks. No minuses. As you come at him with two axes, you see him. He's pulling his short sword. You see recognition in his eyes, and a sneer of derision crosses his lips as he realizes who you are. As this is going on, I am monitoring the people watching, okay. and if I see anybody try to interfere, I'm going to go with them. I'm going to sit back and watch this unfold. Because though I need to question this man, clearly this is a man's life's pursuit here. So it's on equal footing to what Lovaisa needs. Them let Blackguard. Eight. Okay. Four. Dardo's head recoils as one of your axes narrowly misses his throat, but he is out of position as one sinks into his shoulder. It's damage on that bad boy. Seven. He is shaken. He was shaken, but he recovers, but he cannot act again. Now it's initiative again. Okay, you, six of spades, him, queen of clubs. Dardo grits his teeth in pain and rage as he frees his broad-bladed short sword and drives it in toward your face with every ounce of electrified nerve and thu. Six. What's your parry? Nine. Steel sings as his blade is caught by the crook of your hatchet and bites into the stout wooden handle. Oh, explode! A five, a six, a twelve, and an eight. And your twelve explodes. Seventeen. One raise, two regular hits. Oh, jeez. It's going to be nasty. First regular. Explode! Seven... Explode! 13. <laughs> 14. He takes two wounds. Second, Second regular. regular. That was a regular hit. Seven. Seven is his toughness. So that's that's another wound. Okay. That's three wounds. Three wounds. Now your raise hit. Nine. Oh. So make this last. Benny's, bitch. Benny's. Make it last. <laughs> Shut up, Dan. This guy <laughs> is a wild card. He gets his soak rolls, right? These are soak rolls. He's taken four wounds. A twist of Otterid's axe frees it, only to be fleshed again deep into Dardo's shoulder. Hewing flesh and collarbone with a snap and forcing the weasel-faced man to drop his broad-bladed sword to the dirt. 
A jet of crimson sprays out of the wound as Odorhead wrenches the blade out of his enemy's body and brings it down on Dardo again like a cleaver. All the dying man can do is watch in horror as Odred buries his other axe in his throat. Head come off? Almost. I pull it's, it off. It, right, I drop the axes and pull it off. And the you just rip the head off of it. I hold his head up to the sky and let the blood come out of his neck onto my face. Turn your eyes, mother. The Cossacks are stunned. Everybody just kind of sits there and watches as you do these things. And then they all kind of look around like, what in the world has <laughs> just happened? And then one of the Cossacks says in Hyrcanian, that was amazing. <laughs> And so you hear someone else say, good riddance, Bussonian bastard. Uh, and I'll say vengeance is a powerful, powerful tool. Right. And then I collapse. He, he collapses. I look to Strom. You wouldn't by chance know where Milos is then, would you? The flesh dealer? Yes. He was my link. Well, supposedly everywhere that Dardo was, Milos was too. Yes. I didn't get an opportunity to question Dardo. <laughs> but. Sorry, Dan. That's. If he if he hung out here, though, people should know Milos, too. I found it rather strange that he would abandon Milos, as he claimed to me he had, to set out and join us. It all seemed too coincidental. Agreed. It is my belief that he was attempting to gain our trust. For what reason, I do not know. Perhaps to gather intelligence. Is Milos building his own army? I do not know. What I do know is that he's been moving vast quantities of slaves out of his holds in the south. Do you know where? I do not. But Dardo was very keen on me taking the company north and probe the strength of the mindless horde. We must go north. To the tower? To the tower. Milos was going to the tower? The tower. Dardo told me once that he was convinced that it held the key to the power of the mindless. Though it is my suspicion that he was attempting to trap us. Scratch my beard. Well. As I said, I will show you where the tower stands. Under a flag of truce, I can have one of my men return the general. It's only a few days' delay. I have to do it myself. Strom eyes you for a moment. Very well. I will have sleeping arrangements made. Actually, I leave tonight. Actually, uh, by yourself on a, on a fast horse, That's you could get there I, quick. I, yeah, I can get there much quicker. You're never alone. Mother Earth is always with you. Thank you for your blessing. Strom reaches over, and his thick fingers poke into a pouch fastened to a wide belt coiled on the top of a heavy iron-bound chest. They withdraw to reveal a bronze coin glinting in the firelight. He holds the coin out to you and places it into your hand. Produce this coin should you be stopped by any of the free companies between here and Tehran. It will grant you safe passage. I bow and give my thanks. Put it where the key used to be on my... I pick myself up off the ground and I approach Matadai, grab him by the shirt, pull him close. Tell Lovaisa I am sorry. I could not wait. I know. Did you find this man, Milos? Does my brother know where he is? He does. I feel... Our paths will meet again very soon. I hope so, brother. Strom nods at you with respect. We travel north. For a man of your skill, it shouldn't be difficult to find us. I bow and make sure my uh, my steed is watered and I don't know really what to do with him. You can take one of their horses. Right. <laughs> Strap him down. Well, I make haste. Odred, as the mounted form of Matadai and the general fade into the dark, Strom places a hand on your gore-soaked shoulder. It seems I am short one lieutenant after tonight's activities. He gives you a shake. Are you equal to the task of replacing him? The journey that I started 15 years ago has finally come to an end. It has. But now it is time to put that journey, that life, behind you. Join me. Give your life purpose again. Do not see death's embrace. Yes, brother. Strom smiles as the pair of you stare at each other for a long while. 
Then, with a sidelong nod of his head towards Mofir, his eyes narrow and his smile broadens. You can bring your crazy friend along, too. You have a crazy friend? The paling of the eastern sky foretold of the coming dawn as Renyard Durand rested his hands on the ship's railing. His eyes hardened as he turned and made his way amidships to the gangplank and his comrade. Valak stood next to the ship's captain and first officer, his black hooded cloak obscuring the majority of his features despite the blazing torches sconced to the rail. The uncomfortable silence that hung over them was something that Renyard was used to. It was a frequent occurrence that those who remained near Valak opted for silence, unnerved by his presence. The Poitanian studied his friend for a moment, whose mannerisms were as queer as his appearance and voice, almost as if he were consummately out of place. Reynard stepped beside his friend, not sparing a glance nor a word to Valak or the men at his side. Instead, he turned his attention to the activity on the dock, where stout longshoremen bustled about, finalizing the ship's preparations. From the look of things, the last of the supplies were almost loaded, and the Kamar would be ready to sail. This posed a problem. Besides Valak, who Rainyard never let out of his sight, he had two other traveling companions. One of them, Ronios, was securing their luggage from the boarding house where they had been staying. Rainyard knew the reason for the Zamorian's tardiness was that he was finalizing a bargain with the mistress of the house. The bargain that secured their rooms at such a cut rate. The other companion they awaited was a young, white, blonde-haired barbarian from the frozen wastes of Asgard. The previous evening, she had separated from them to see to a personal matter, and now she was minutes from being late. Rainyard swore under his breath. Seeming to notice his ire, the captain of the ship turned. The tips of his luxuriously pointed mustache rose as he flashed a toothy smile. We have less than an hour before dawn, Lord Durand. I was very clear to your stray companion. It is not my concern that she is unable to follow instructions. Late departure due to passenger negligence will incur a fee, I'm afraid. The dark-haired man at the captain's side nods while masking a grin. I'm uh, pacing a little. We need this woman. She's... Admittedly, not as good as myself, but uh, we need her. <laughs> You're lucky I didn't hear that. Very well. We wait. Do you have other baggage? Simok raises his chin, causing the plume of his wide-brimmed hat to bounce. With an open palm, he indicates the form of Ronios laden with baggage, laboriously making his way to the foot of the gangplank. Besides your Zamorian trash. Look at the lock. Your baggage. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting the baggage. Is it my imagination or did I have a horse? I didn't have no, no, I do have a war horse. Yes, you do. Oh, crap. <laughs> are you stabling your horse here while you go on a trip? Or are you trying to convince the captain to uh, find a place to stash your horse? I don't think that would be feasible. You get on board and you're having this discussion. Your Zamorian manservant is coming with your baggage. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even phase him. I'll uh, send him a few curses in Zamorian. That's, uh, I've recently learned that language. Uh-huh. But you pick up the swear words first. Where's that friend of yours? Curse. Hurry up. Get she's, on here. she's on her way. She said she would be here. I don't know what the problem could be. The golden domes of the marble buildings of the upper districts of Sultanapur catch fire with the first rays of dawn. As the sky lightens, a shrill whistle peals from within the city. You initially disregard it, Renyard, thinking it's possibly some morning religious tradition, until you notice the look of recognition and concern on Ronios's face as he nears. Somebody start the boat. The whistle blows again, followed by another from further in the city. And then you see it. Sprinting down the harbor road is Lovaisa, hair glowing in the growing light, with the body of a girl over each broad shoulder. You recognize who they are as the brute nears. The smallest one is Lalika, a waif that Lovaisa became attached to when you and your companions were in Zamora. 
The other girl is as unmistakable as the first, Nadia. The Berthunian dancing girl you rescued from the altar of a spider cult, who has hence become the concubine of Nikafor, the son of Sultanapur's prince. Simok removes his hat, holding it in one of his thick hands, and squints towards the gloom of the shaded avenues leading into the waking city as the whistling grows louder. The Dark God. Why have they been alerted? No reason. Time to go. Uh, and you're you're coming up the gangplank now, Ronios, with everybody's bags. Okay, uh, uh, somebody take these damn bags for me. I go help her. I just run off. <laughs> Where? <laughs> towards her. Oh, okay. So, so Valak, get over here. Valak takes off past you and starts headed towards Lobaisa. Right, fine. Uh, Renyard, come here. Simak's eyes glint in the flickering torchlight, a smile on his lips. I see two additional passengers, my lord. It seems that we are in need of renegotiation. I mumble and curse. Renyard places a hand on the leather pouch secured to his belt and gives it an idle shake as he watches Lovaisa rushing with her burden. Lovaisa, you're running. You see Valak come running up. Sword in hand. Are, is anyone after me? You're being chased by the city guard. Oh, balls. Ah, Yamir, help me. I'm helping. What? I see the city guard. You hear there's a large group of people coming. And you hear whistles. Is there anywhere to hide? Uh, no, you, there's a Get ship. Get to the ship, woman. Get to the ship. Okay, run into the uh, ship. I lean on the Valak, rail of the what ship are you doing? scowl the uh, Covering her rear. As you run up the plank, Valak comes up. The captain is now just standing there. Holding out his hand. No, I'm paying. And you're just shoveling money I'm into his at hand. Her. Coins glint in the growing light of the dawn as they are heaped into Simok's hand, the precious metal of the money clinking against the jewel crusted rings on his fingers. With his sense of personal propriety satiated, his hand closes into a fist and he turns his bulk in the direction of the dark haired man at his side. You may shove off, Bakai. The Kamar slowly inches away from its birthing as points of light appear in the gloom of the harbor road. Painfully slow, the bark drifts into the bay, propelled by twenty sweeps before her mainsail opens, catches wind, and she lurches to life. Curses and screams of protest from the dock mingle with the steady wind across the deck. Many of the sailors stop in the process of shoring up line and other deckhand business to look nervously at the captain and his passengers. Beside the group, the hand of the dark-haired man, the captain called Bakai, rests on the basket of his cutlass. Those of you who speak Hyrcanian know why the guards are screaming and now why the first mate puts his hand on his sword. Because in Hyrcanian, the guards are screaming, she's killed the prince, she's killed the prince. Oh. The captain holds out his hand for more money. Essentially, he's never going to be able to go to that port again. Now Reynard will not be able to retrieve his horse. (laughs) (laughs) He loved that horse. Look at Renyard. He's heartbroken. I'll point at uh, Louisa. You owe me. Stench, cloying, imposing stench, like a wet, smothering blanket, made it difficult to take a deep breath. It was unlike anything that Odorid had ever experienced. Tears rolled from his cheeks in steady drops. As he crawled toward the crest of the ridge, it was difficult to see his brother, who beckoned him from ahead. The prone form of Strom lay still as a statue, save his one gesturing hand. He was careful to keep his shaggy-haired head below the apex, 
lest his silhouette be seen by those in the valley below. The buzzing of minuscule insect wings resonated in Odred's ears. He was too occupied to swat them, and quick waves of his hands did nothing to shoo them away. His ire was growing with each foot that he crawled. Slowly, Mofir toiled beside him, one hand securely holding his pointed nose. Crawling with one arm inhibited him to such a degree that Odred frequently halted his own crawling to grab a handful of the mystic's clothing and drag him up alongside him. This he did one last time to get the Zamorian equal with himself and Strom when he reached the Kozak. A nod of Strom's head told Odred that the giant wanted him to peer over the lip and into the Valley of the Mindless. Reluctantly, he did so. His eyes dilated in surprise at what he saw. Ten or fifteen strides from where he lay, the ridge fell away sharply, the precipice descending to the packed earth hundreds of feet below him. Though it wasn't the steep bluff that wowed him, or the immense canyon, it is what he saw living down there. People. Thousands of them. They were scattered in clusters, without any discernible organization. It was as if thousands of random groups of people happened upon the same place at the same time, and decided to stay there. Odred was so focused on the queer side of the gathering that he didn't notice Strom joining him until the giant's thick arm pointed to the hills beyond the far wall of the canyon. There it is. Odred's eyes follow Strom's indicated direction. Through the haze of tears, he can make out a dark shard jutting out of the blackened hills, like a colossal spike of jet glittering wetly in the sinking sun. As he focuses on it, a shudder washes over him. The Tower of the Ape. Good boy. Strom's arm lowers, and he looks at the gathering of odd people below. To get there, you must cross the Valley of the Mindless. Oh, shit. This is the closest I dare to get to them, regardless of your assurances of what Mofir's goddess will do to protect us. I've never seen them in these numbers. We've encountered handfuls, Mitra, and never so many. To descend into that hell is certain death. So when you get to this overlook, you're looking down into this valley, and you see this massive horde of people, and you notice there's no organization. Even the steppe barbarians that you're with, the Kozaks that you're with, even when they have a camp, they're pretty organized. The Turanian army, of course, would be completely organized. Rigid. Yes. This has none of that. It's almost as if the people will just sit where they are and just stay there. No tents, no shelter. No tents, no shelter, nothing. And as you're watching, you're seeing they're eating essentially anything that's close to them, including each other. And there's fights breaking out all over the place. Just randomly, they'd flare up, and then they would feast on the dead. Damn. Mindless. So, 100,000? Maybe 100,000 people. Damn. There's no stage set up. This isn't a concert. It's not Woodstock. And there's no discernible leadership either. You don't, you don't see like a big tent or like a big open area where... So the, the tower isn't here. What you see oh. is the sheer face of these cliffs that you're on goes down to the valley floor. And then the valley stretches out for probably a couple of miles. And then there's low hills and then there's larger hills. The large hills are black, a blackened earth. Okay. And it looks exactly like... The vision. The vision that you saw. Okay. Exactly. Blasted land. Looks like maybe like a brush fire had completely just decimated these hills. Sean, the rock is weeping. Hmm. Do we have to go down there? I see no other way. The activity on the canyon floor holds Odred's attention for a long while. Then he looks back toward the black spire in the distance. Viewing it causes icy fingers to crawl over his scalp. Turning back to Strom, he finds the giant watching him intently. We could find another way, my brother. It would be a delay. Days and days? Yeah. Well, that's safer than going through the middle of this. How mindless are they, though? We could pass through without... Doesn't sound like they're mindless enough they can't overcome an army, or... Why can't we blend in? Well, I think you could. <laughs> I okay. probably could, too, actually. 
I was like, yeah, you probably could. The Kozak eyes them both and looks back to the valley without turning his head. How soon must you get there? No fear. I'm thinking pretty quick. Less than days. Brother, this man promised to help me achieve my goals, and I've done that. I have to help him. I he promised knows. him I'd, I'd help him. The droning of insects intensifies, causing Odred's head to begin to ache. His eyes turn to Mofir, whose gaze is locked on the blackened hills in the distance, tears streaming down his cheeks. Okay. Make a spirit check. Ooh, the 12 sider. <gasps> 12 exploded. 22. Five. Five. It starts to get worse. It starts to make you nauseous. You're looking around for these bugs. There are no bugs around you. That's when you realize that there's no wildlife, birds, bugs, nothing around you. And then your vision starts to fade. His or both of ours? Just his. Oh. (laughs) Your vision clears and you are standing on the blackened ridge overlooking the same canyon, though it has been changed, blasted, and shadowed, covered in gray-black soot. The land around you, grass and trees, are covered in inky blackness so profound it seems to drink the light, making it hard to focus on detail. Under your feet, the blades of grass feel stiff and brittle, as if coated by a thin layer of obsidian. The crunch of feet behind you, crushing the delicate turf, attracts your attention. You turn to see Mofir, grinning and holding the hand of a dark-skinned woman. The same woman who came to you in a vision deep in the mountains of Zamora. It is the woman Mofir calls Mother, the spirit of Mother Earth. My brother's gone? Your brother is completely gone. Just you are standing there, and the brown-skinned woman. Okay, I'll look at her and I'll say, what, what's happening? You are seeing things as I see them, should you fail. Are all the people gone in the valley? You yeah, all you see is blackness okay. everywhere. My time with you is running short. My efforts to shield you are taxing me. And I'm seeing this vision too, or? Uh, He's in your head now. Oh, okay. You see what you always see. All right. Okay, he's just in it now. Not since the time of three has there been such strength, such power. Hmm. Blue has been shattered, lost. And then you see blackness surround you again. And then through the blackness, you see a glowing blue, large, almost like an ostrich egg. Okay. And then you see there's a hand holding it. As the vision clears, you see this large, hairless giant in white robes walking with this in his hand. Then you see the gym crack and shatter. Bright flash of light. You see that the pieces of this broken blue crystal being gathered by a white-haired woman and given to painted ebon savages. Red is beyond reach. Okay. The vision fades again, and then you see a red jewel lying on the chest of a shriveled mummy. And then you see a man holding the red gem aloft and blue lightning striking out of it and blasting a black-robed man. Then you see a giant man with black hair, a slim golden crown on his head, standing before the same gem, and it's resting on a pedestal. Then the vision fades. Any of that mean anything to me? means absolutely nothing. Okay. Green has returned. If it is made whole again, all is lost. But then you see a obese man of Pictish descent in opulent robes sitting before another large king, reaching under his robes and pulling a glowing green gem. Mm. Then you see a flame-eyed, skull-faced man laying the glowing green gem on the forehead of a squalling baby. I'm tripping balls. (laughs) (laughs) And then you see a dark-robed man holding the green gem aloft, while Lovaisa, Valak, and Renyard lay dead at his feet. Oh. There are riches for us. <laughs> oh. Shades of things to come. <laughs> the vision fades again, and then you see a roiling storm-wracked sky. A shit storm. 
the ebon spike begins pulsating with green energy. Ooh. A jet of blackness erupt and rolls like lava across the land. Damn. Shazit. I see why Mother Earth is crying and sad. And then those visions fade, and now you're standing again on the, the cliff with Mofir and the brown-skinned woman. We're going to have to go through this. The green calls to be reunited with itself. If you fail, all is lost. Uh-oh. So it's urgent. We have to get through this. Okay. Let's go. Like I said, the black lava is just pouring and pouring and pouring, and it just kind of comes towards you. You open your eyes, and Strom is grabbing you by the shoulders. Odred! Odred! What is happening to you? Quit that incessant cackling, you Yuzamorian lunatic! <laughs> I'll, I'll grab him and pull him close. We, we, we have to go to the tower. The way you were acting. You seem to be on the path to becoming mindless. Are you? No, I think I was in Mofir's mind. I think I saw his visions. You seem shudder. If if we don't do this, the whole world's going to die. Roll the notice. Two. Seven. The buzzing intensifies further into a ball of searing white-hot flame between Odred's ears. He blinks away sparks that flash in his eyes, just in time to see five slouching forms shamble out of the tree line and up the hill towards him. Slivering mouths agape in silent screams of rage, bulging red eyes aglow in the fading daylight. The mindless attack. Let's just run. What? No, let's finish these fuckers off. Okay. Initiative. The mindless go on a six. See? All right, Strom gets a queen. Jason gets a jack. Sean Joker. gets a ten. Oh, yeah, that's not bad. Strom, crouching over Odred, grabs the younger man and lifts him to his feet. Then he turns to face the oncoming attackers, protecting his brother long enough for him to gather his wits. And now it is Odred. Improved frenzy two-fisted. Seven. Six. I think that's a nine. Yeah, that's a nine. Okay. My bad. That's two hits. Are you separating guys or are you doing the same guy? I'll separate them. Six explodes. Mm -hmm. Fourteen. And then your second attack? Three. Barely on his feet for a second. Odred steps around the giant man and buries one of his axe blades to the handle in the skull of one of the red-eyed devils. His other axe swings wildly, keeping another mindless attacker at bay. Odred's eyes widen as the air becomes supercharged around him, causing the small hairs on his neck to stand erect. Even in his reddened state, he recognizes the threat in an instant and sidesteps. Mo Fear, a look of exquisite joy on his face, broadly smiles as he channels the power of the earth. So you're rolling your spell, spell weaving, weaving and a d6. And a Five. You hit, you did not raise, so you don't get the extra damage or anything like that. Go ahead and roll your damage on those three. 2d10. 16. A ripple of force erupts like a thunderclap from the Zamorian mystic when he stamps his bare foot on the ground. Primal fury of the earth manifests in raw elemental power that splits the ground under the oncoming brutes, and they are rent asunder by the concussive wave. Awesome. Gore. I love it. That leaves one. He also has frenzy. Mm. He gets two attacks on you at a minus two because it's straight up frenzy, not improved. So the eight explodes. Uh-oh. So ten. What's your parry? Nine. Four damage. What's your toughness? Eight. The mindless attacker's filthy nails claw at Odred's face, but the pick is too agile for the likes of this brute. He turns, and the taloned hands narrowly miss his face and lightly brush his shoulder. Do another round of initiative. Two for it. Ah. Strom, eight. Odred, a king. Give me a joker. Joker, joker. And Mofir. Ace. Oh, shit. You should really defer and save your spell. Seriously. Yeah, that's true. It's not worth no. it. No, I will defer. You just blasted three of them. You see one of them's engaged with uh, Odred, so you just kind of wait and see what happens. Yes. Okay, Odred, you're next. 
What, Mother Earth? I should wait? Yes, I will do that. I love her. She lets me suckle. <laughs> a ten and a six. That's two hits. Damage. Seven and eleven. Hold on. Eighteen. So seven, seven, seven and, and eighteen. With the flat of one axe, Odred smashes the nose of the remaining red-eyed man, causing the creature to step back in shock, hands grasping at the pain, only to have the other axe cleave into his skull with a spray of brains and severed fingers. Awesome. Strom, he is standing there, and he, his head is now turned towards the cliff, and as you recover from your rage, you hear a howling. Mother has just told me we should run. We must leave. Now. Let's go. The three men hurry to the tree line where they had secured their horses, hoping that they would get to them before the raging mindless horde does. Though night had fallen, no one in the Kozaki camp was asleep. Instead, they gather around Strom, who towers above them like an adult amid children. The giant's eyes look to each man around him before he speaks. Strike the camp. Prepare to march. At dawn, we move to the valley. Confusion and terror show on each man's face as the cold realization of Strom's words hit them like a hammer blow. What you command is madness, my friend. Strom wheels on the gray-haired veteran. The anger in his eyes quickly fades, and he nods. Saram, you are my closest friend. I ask that you trust me in this. My brother and his friend have shown me the truth. The darkness is coming this way. We will be crushed between it and Yestergut's army. The old Kozak turns his scarred face to Odred and Mofir. Today I traveled closer to the valley than anyone ever has, and returned to tell of it. I believe that it is because of this Samorian mystic. His lunacy masks his true gifts. The power he has protected our minds from the mindless influence. I truly believe this. I have seen what he can do. Trust me in this, my old friend. I need you. Slowly, Saram nods, and a smile brushes his lips. A glorious death, then. Strom returns his smile, which he drops as he turns to face his men again. Any dog who wishes to leave may do so. But know this. We go to this valley to stop the evil that threatens all we hold dear. Be aware of what your cowardice is robbing you of. To fight alongside your brothers. And save the world. Oh. The panic in the gathered Kozaki eyes fade as Strom's words sink in. A few nod to him, but all slowly turn and fade into the deepening night to prepare for the march into the valley. Smiling grimly, Strom turns to Odred and Mofir. We will get you to the tower. If it takes every last one of us, I swear it. Can you hold out? Do not trouble your mind with that. You must see your friend to the tower. You must stop this. We can stop this. Do you have to engage them directly? Can you... Odred, there is no other way. We got this. Brother, this is a great sacrifice. They have superior numbers, but we have superior equipment, tactics, and will. They have no weapons. They do seem weak. We must hurry, Mofir. I'm ready.
for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Tower of the Ape. Please check for further episodes on our website, gamerstable.com. Any use of this production for commercial purposes is prohibited. Written credit for music and other properties used in this production can be found on this episode's dedicated webpage. Conan is the property of Conan Properties International, who have graciously allowed us to make this production. Savage Worlds Deluxe is the property of Pinnacle Entertainment Group. Openly Gamer Theater and Gamer's Table are trademark properties of Side Tangent Productions. <laughs> <laughs>